Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And thank you for joining us here today on AOA, Agriculture of America. Great to be back with you once again. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Another exciting show planned for you as we talk about what's happening in agriculture. Coming up in segment two, we're going to talk with the new chair of the U.S. Grains Council, Brent Boydston. He'll be on the show with us. Looking forward to that conversation in segment three, Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, will be joining us as we get our eyes set on that WASDE report, World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates for the month of August. That'll be out Friday morning at 11 a.m. Central Time. We'll get Arlen's thoughts on that. We have some new consumer price index data to look at as well. We're going to talk to Arlen coming up in segment three today. And then we'll wrap up the show with another preview of the upcoming Farm Progress show happening later this month in Decatur, Illinois. Show manager Matt Youngman will be joining us. That is all coming up here today on AOA. But right away, kicking things off, pleased to have with us here on the program today. He is the chair of the House Agriculture Committee Congressman Glenn G.T. Thompson from Pennsylvania. And Chairman Thompson, it's great to speak with you on AOA today. How are you, sir? Jesse, I'm doing great, and it's uh, wonderful to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity to talk. Well, we really appreciate it, and I know you're keeping a pretty busy schedule there, Chairman Thompson, with uh, various Farm Bill listening sessions happening around the country here during the August recess. And uh, that's what I want to focus on with you today is the Farm Bill for starters, uh, I know we're creeping up on that September 30th deadline, and I know you are trying everything in your power to get something marked up and, and ready to go by that deadline. What is the latest when it comes to the Farm Bill? How are things looking? Well, I will tell you, the, the House Agriculture Committee is doing our job. We, uh, we I, I've set one goal when I stepped into leadership with this committee, and that is we would pass a a bipartisan, bicameral bill, on time and highly effective. Now, the on time, you're right. Uh, uh, that that one's challenging, but um, uh, and the only thing I have control over really is the House Agriculture Committee. And and I think we're going to get our job done on time before it expires. We uh, uh, obviously there's a lot of competition in September for floor time with all the key things, including all the spending bills that expire. And so I'm hopeful leadership will provide us uh, that time to be able to get a bill on the floor. I'm absolutely confident we'll be ready for it if we get that time. Uh, but, you know, the only commodity that we're not producing more of today is minutes. And so it, that has been a bit of a challenge. But to get to the highly effective part, because, you know, all of that, if we don't do it highly effective, it's all for nothing, right? It's, I think anybody can get a farm bill passed if you water it down to the point where it's irrelevant and meaningless. But that's not what we're doing. That's why we've been leaning in here. We've been in over uh, over 30 different states, uh, well more than probably, uh, uh, certainly well more than 50 uh, listening sessions where we're bringing the voices of American agriculture to the table. And that's how you write a highly effective farm bill that, that really puts the farm back in the farm bill. And so I'm I'm pleased with the progress and the progress we continue to make here. 
Well, as you go to these various listening sessions, what are some of the biggest challenges you're hearing from farmers and ranchers throughout the country? I know I've heard crop insurance continues to be one of the major talking points at these farm bill listening sessions. Is that what you're hearing? What are some of the challenges that you're hearing from our farmers and ranchers? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the, big, uh, the, the biggest issue, I think, at this point is just these high input costs and how inflation is really hurting these farm families, the cost of diesel, uh, fertilizer. And I know that some of that is actually some of it's going up when you look at gas prices, but some of it is coming down, mitigating the fertilizer, but it's still much higher than it's been in the past. So inflation, uh, one of the top issues, Jesse, I hear the same thing that you obviously are hearing, is the importance of crop insurance. And the ask I get uh, from, and I've gotten this from, uh, Quite frankly, the Maine to Washington State, uh, Texas and Florida, and all, and many states in between, is uh, please protect crop insurance, and and we're looking to do that. We want to protect and strengthen crop insurance, so it, uh, you know, maybe increase the subscription to it because that strengthens uh, strengthens the, that risk management program, uh, and. Uh, you know, and look at maybe what can we do to incorporate uh, some of those ad hoc dollars, which is mm -hmm. really uh, eighty percent of what's been spent uh, on agriculture has been outside the farm bill since two thousand eighteen because of ad hoc disaster emergency spending, and and uh, maybe we'll be able to incorporate some of that into the crop insurance program. I hear a lot about trade as well. You know, that's yeah. an important market for us, right? All those all those bellies around the world uh, that. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I think there's obviously a, a need to, uh, to to make a better investment in something that's been flat level funding since it's been created. Uh, that would be the trade programs uh, that would include market access program for market development. You know, those are the uh, uh, two of many um, many topics uh, and, and and priorities that, that that I hear everywhere I go. I know that uh, the nutrition title makes up a big chunk of the farm bill, and we've heard uh, a lot in the news lately about SNAP error rates and more. And, you know, we've talked many times uh, for years, uh, you know, some folks have brought up the idea of trying to decouple the nutrition title from the farm bill, et cetera. Do you feel like that's going to be a challenge? Because I know I, I, we've heard some folks want to try and reform the SNAP program within the Farm Bill to a certain degree. Can you speak on that a little bit? Sure. Well, many of the people that talk about wanting to reform SNAP have, are not on the Agriculture Committee, and quite frankly, they don't understand the program. We have been we have been improving that program for. Uh, for at least a decade, the 2014 Farm Bill, 2018 Farm Bill, uh, we actually have it in law today, as because of the Debt Reduction Act that was just signed into law. Uh, that uh, the nutrition title is not just about food security; it's about economic security, and it has been since 1993. We've had workforce requirements. Uh, a lot of people who talk about wanting to, they want to add workforce requirements. Well, they've been there for. Well, what would that be? At least, uh, uh, well, uh, several decades, put it that way. Mm -hmm. And so part of that is my job, our job, to make sure we help educate members about what, what the nutrition title really is. It really is a workforce development title. Uh, it, is, uh, uh, it is about food security, but quite frankly, it's about economic security. Uh, you know, we've, and we made some tremendous um, 
uh, tremendous uh, improvements, some enhancements as a part of that Debt Reduction Act law that went into play uh, in terms of restoring accountability among states. That's where the breakdown happens. It happens in the execution or the administration of the SNAP program uh, in by the different states. And, and I'll be honest, one of the things I'm planning to do that we haven't done in the past, we're going to increase the amount of count, scrutiny and accountability on these states. Uh, we're going to be inviting governors to come in and and to, mm -hmm. and to testify before the the House Agriculture Committee on exactly how effective are they of implementing this nutrition title uh, and all aspects of it, uh, you know, all aspects of SNAP. Well, Chairman Thompson, we do appreciate the time and an update on how things are going with the Farm Bill, and we'll have to get you back on AOA again real soon. Thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate it, Jesse. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Congressman Glenn G.T. Thompson from Pennsylvania, the House Ag Chair. We'll talk to Brett Boydston from U.S. Grains Council next on AOA. At Great Plains, we engineer durable soil management, seeding, and planting equipment to help you get more out of every acre, harvest after harvest. United in purpose, driven by devotion, we work tirelessly to provide solutions so you can build a legacy that'll last. Visit your local dealer or go to GreatPlainsAg.com today to lock in your order and unlock your potential. Great Plains. Harvest starts here. Your grain cart. Your auger wagon. Your grain buggy. Whatever you call it. Whatever color. Whoever's driving it. It serves a vital role in your operation every harvest. This year, make your grain cart the center of automated record keeping with a Harvest Make Grain Cart Bundle from ScaleTech. Reliability when it matters most. Accessible records when you need them. Adaptable solutions to fit your operation. We've taken the time to make sure our rugged products adapt to fit your current scale systems. So you have one less thing to worry about when it's go time. Make a Harvest Make Grain Cart Bundle your partner in automated record keeping at Scaletech.com. Scaletech. Your scale. Your way. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA here today. Well, recently, the U.S. Grains Council held their summer meeting in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And during that meeting, they elected a new chair for the U.S. Grains Council. And he is joining us here now on AOA. Brent Boydston is with us. He's a Kansas farmer and the new chair again of the U.S. Grains Council. Brent, it is great to have you on AOA with us here today. I hope you're doing well. Great to be here, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Well, let's dive right in. And first off, congratulations to you being elected the chairman of the U.S. Grains Council. And just want to start there. I got to imagine a good feeling of being elected chairman here of USGC, isn't it? It is a great feeling. Uh, super excited. And with, uh, you know, looking forward to the trust the delegates have put into me to lead the organization for the next year. Uh, have a lot of a uh, lot of goals that I want to try and get uh, accomplished to get, uh, you know, more U.S. Uh, corn, barley and sorghum overseas, as well as some of the uh, the co-products as well. But uh, we're going to take 
you know, little steps to get going, and then we're going to be up and running before we know it. Well, let's talk about some of those goals a little more in depth here, Brent. And you mentioned it, you know, trying to get more corn, sorghum, et cetera, overseas and developing some of those relationships with our overseas partners. I know that's always a big mission of the U.S. Grains Council. And it sounds like that's something that you want to continue uh, to develop more and more here uh, during your tenure. Absolutely. You know, we, we've seen uh, we've seen some successes. We opened an office in Delhi, India. Uh, that was in January of this year is when we got the official office opening done. Uh, so we have that relationship that's now being developed and cultivated. We have great staff there in Delhi. Uh, we've also seen expansions, you know, Bangladesh, um, areas that you wouldn't necessarily think about, East Africa, Tanzania, Kenya, um, some of the things we've been able to do there through partnerships. But we're also starting to see, and what I really want to push is into West Africa. Uh, this is an area that uh, it's it, it, it's a frontier market, but area for, for a lot of growth potential on imports as well. We're going to see a, a large population start to start to emerge out of this area. Uh, it's going to be really good to get, uh, you know, U.S. products, U.S. corn and DDGs into this area. Well, and thinking about areas like that, West Africa, and, you know, I, I feel like that's always been a role of the U.S. Grains Council is looking at some of these new markets and, and trying to expand those opportunities for our U.S. growers to get their product into some of these new and, and developing markets, isn't it, Brent? It is. It is. And it, and it takes a lot of relationships to get, uh, to get these going. Um, you know, to give you an idea, in the last year, uh, the Grains Council had nearly 50 trade teams come to the United States. We hosted 45 trade missions overseas. And this is all in an effort to, to build those relationships. And we also partner with the Moroccan Poultry uh, Association on a poultry training program. And it goes everything from the egg, the laying house, um, how to set up a grow barn, all the way through to harvesting that bird and getting those products into market, um, how, to, how to, you know, pelletize the feed, but we're seeing some very, very good successes because we're seeing countries from West Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, they will send delegations to this trading center and they'll be there for three weeks or a month going through and they're taking that knowledge back to their home countries and implementing it, but they're doing it with U.S. corn and U.S. DDGs to grow those chickens. Well, I know as well, you think about some of these markets that uh, U.S. Grains Council is working to open up more and more, and we continue a lot of our existing partnerships as well. I know there's a lot of already very strong trade relationships that we have uh, as a country with with other countries, I think, you know, some of our friends in Southeast Asia and Europe and other parts of the world, there's a lot of strong relationships that we continue to foster as well, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. You know, work is never done. Uh, you can look at uh, Japan, Taiwan. Those are both markets that are going to be coming on for ethanol. Um, they're looking at moving from their current standard to higher blends of ethanol. Uh, they realize, or I get a sense from meetings with them that they realize that Ethanol is something that can help them meet their carbon goals now. Uh, they've, both of those countries have some pretty ambitious uh, carbon reduction goals. And for a while, the focus was on EVs. But through the work of the Grains Council, talking to the governments, talking to uh, those business leaders, we've shown that ethanol is a viable product to bring down uh, those carbon emissions in their transportation industry. And we are starting to see traction on that as well. I think we'll see the same. I think we'll see similar in India. 
um, when we were there in January of this year, there was a lot of talk of ethanol um, as well and what it could mean for air quality. So it is, it, it's, it's fostering those relationships. It's maintaining those relationships and just being a good, good partner and good friend moving forward. We are talking today with Brent Boydston, the new chairman of the U.S. Grains Council, just elected at their recent meeting held in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Brent, as you look at your tenure ahead here as chairman, what are some challenges that you see in front of you potentially? Oh, all kinds of fun stuff. Um, you know, on, on the on the broad scale, trade is always a challenge. You're, you're going to have, there's always hiccups, there's always um, things that change, so you have to keep working. Uh, keep working those angles. You also have, uh, you know, the, the you know challenges that we're seeing in Mexico. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, the good thing is, our, our U.S. Uh, trade representative is working on that along with USDA. Uh, that has a chance to, you know, be very detrimental to trade. But uh, you know, they're working on it. I think they'll get it worked out and put it into a good situation. But while you have challenges, you, you know, look at your successes. We were in Canada last week. And Canada is one of our largest largest trading partners. We see large amounts of corn go into Canada. They're also the, if not the largest, one of the largest ethanol markets. So we don't have to go all over the world to look for uh, trade, good trading partners when sometimes they're right next door. Well, Brent, that summer meeting you mentioned there in Canada, how was the mood among all the delegates that were there? I have to think probably an upbeat mood just with all the successes that you pointed to that we continue to have here with uh, with getting our commodities shared around the world. Oh, it was a great meeting. Uh, we had over 300 registered uh, attendees, which we are seeing more and more attendees every meeting. Uh, so very well attended. The delegates were very engaged uh, during their, and one of the nice things about uh, Grains Council is we take direction from our delegates through our action teams. And the action teams, they were robust. They had very good conversation. They brought good recommendations back to the board on things that they wanted to see done. Uh, So the delegates were in a great mood. Uh, And I can't, you know, I want to reiterate how good of a job that they do. They're fantastic. Well, I think uh, from what you say, there are uh, just a, a lot of exciting things ahead for this year and beyond with what's going on with the U.S. Grains Council. Before we let you go, Brent, any uh, final thoughts you'd want to share or reiterate for us today? You know, just looking forward to this year. Uh, we're really going to push and we're going to get out there and uh, we're, we're going to get it done. Well, we appreciate the time. The new chairman of the U.S. Grains Council, Brent Boydston. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll look forward to catching up with you again in the future. Great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Once again, Brent Boydston, the new chair of the U.S. Grains Council. Thanks to him for joining us here today on AOA. We do appreciate the time. Well, coming up, we're going to talk uh, the August WASD report. That is coming our way Friday morning at 11 a.m. Central Time. We'll do that here in just a few minutes with Arlen Suderman at Stonex and get his thoughts on some of the latest uh, trade in the markets. We have inflation data out hot off the press on Thursday morning. We're going to talk about that as well. Want to share this, though, the U.S. farm real estate value, a measurement of the value of all land and buildings on farms. It averaged 
$4,080 per acre for 2023. That's according to NAS. They released the 2023 land value summary, and that uh, number's up $280 per acre, or 7.4% from last year. Now, the U.S. cropland value averaged $5,460 per acre, an increase of $410 per acre, or 8.1% from the previous year. Now, the U.S. pasture value averaged $1,760 per acre. That's up $110 per acre, or 6.7% from 2022. Among the notable state-level data, the NAS Iowa field office says that cropland cash rent paid to Iowa landlords in 2023 averaged $269 per acre. Non-irrigated cropland rent averaged $269 per acre, while irrigated cropland averaged $271 an acre, $13 and $19 higher respectively compared to last year. Cropland was valued at $10,100 per acre. That's $750 higher than 2022. In Minnesota, cropland cash rent averaged $198 per acre. Cropland at $6,820 an acre, that was $620 higher than last year. So overall looking like things higher when it comes to land values. That's according to NAS. They released the 2023 land values summary here this week. All right, coming up next here on AOA, we will take a look at what's going on in the markets. Big picture, get us set up for the release of the August World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates Report on Friday morning. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, joins us next. We'll be back with more here on AOA right after this. Did you know Henry Ford's Model T was designed to run on either gasoline or corn ethanol? After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop. Over half of all the corn grown in the United States is grown in four states, Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, and Nebraska. A typical year has about 800 kernels in 16 rows. Corn will always have an even number of rows on each cob. One variety of corn grown in Peru has kernels so large that they are eaten individually. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, as we continue to watch what is happening in the market trade, we are gearing up for Friday morning's release of the August World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates Report. A lot of traders, a lot of farmers, ranchers are waiting for that volatile, usually always volatile report. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about what's going on with the economy. We have some new data out here as of Thursday morning, the Consumer Price Index. Joining us now to talk about it, Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. Arlen, thanks so much for joining us on AOA today. I hope you're doing well. Good to be with you, Jesse, and congratulations on the move. And I look forward to a lot more conversations with you here on this end. You know, we uh, definitely always appreciate the time you give us and uh, thank you for the congrats. I do uh, do appreciate it very much. All right, let's start with the Consumer Price Index data that out as of Thursday morning. And I know a lot of folks on Wall Street have been waiting to see those numbers. It, it looked like as I glanced through the headline numbers, at least they pretty much came in as expected. Can you uh, break things down for us? What did we see with the CPI data? 
Yeah, consumer price data is measure a measure of inflation at the consumer level, what you and I pay everyday life type of thing. And that's what it's supposed to show. And it showed gains in the month of July, two-tenths of a percent month on month. So if you were to multiply that out, we were maintain that for a 12-month period. That would be a 2.4% annual inflation rate, essentially. So that's very close to the Fed's um, 2% mandate, not quite there. But when you look at the year on year, it came in at 3.2%. That was a little bit below analysts' expectations of 3.3% because they were expecting an uptick. We were at 3% year on year the previous month. So headline numbers, the year on year has gone up a little bit modestly, but the month on month is pretty flat at that two tenths of a percent. So Wall Street interpreted that it interpreted that as being pretty good. If you look at the core inflation numbers, which leave out the more volatile food and energy, and I think a lot of us would wonder, is that really reality? But that's the way they do it with at the Federal Reserve. That went up also two-tenths of a percent and is up 4.7% year-on-year. That's well above the 2% mandate of the Fed, but it was still better than the 4.8% we had last month or the 4.8% that the analysts were expecting or that was priced in the market. I was totally surprised by these numbers because I expected higher numbers. And it's interesting to note as I've watched some of the business networks, and I was interviewed by one on my head of this morning. CPI report as well. Um, I'm not the only one who was thinking that. So it made me wonder if the whisper number was higher as well. And the key component I was looking at is energy. We've all been buying gasoline um, and, you know, to get to work every day or whatever it may be in order to for our summer vacations. And we've been paying a lot more at the pump of late. Mm-hmm. But what the government says is gasoline prices were only up two-tenths of a percent over the over the past, oh, yeah, two tenths of a percent month on month over the past month. So what that tells me is when they took their measurement, we've got a delay in that showing up in the data. So that means an even bigger jump in ne- in the August data when it is printed next month. So Wall Street's celebrating this. They believe that that means that the Fed will be pivoting and starting to reduce rates next year. Um, and I know a lot of farmers out there are anxious for those rates to go back down on their operating loans, etc. Um, I'm not convinced. I tend to be a glass half full type of guy. But as I look at the economy, I still see strong wage inflation and I see commodity prices going up, particularly for energy, particularly for crude oil and gasoline, diesel fuel. Those costs are going up and I don't think that's reflected, but it will be paid attention to by the Federal Reserve. The market's been wrong about what the Fed's going to do for the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. And I think it continues to be wrong. Um, so unfortunately, I feel like more rate hikes are probably ahead for us and probably for longer than what the market anticipates. Well, obviously, when we think about the outside markets in the economy, that plays itself into our grain, oil seed commodities and into the livestock sector as well. And coming up on Friday, of course, we got that August WASDE report, typically a very volatile report, Arlen. And it sounds like the average trade guesses are, are calling for a slight reduction in corn and soybean yields from USDA. Whether or not we get that, that remains to be seen. But what's your thoughts here with the overall grain trade heading into the WASDE report? 
Yeah, this August report is known for its surprises, market moving surprises. In the last couple of years, that's pushed prices to the upside. Prior to that, we had a series of years when it pushed prices to the downside. Uh, and so we'll have to watch it closely. What the trade will be most closely watching will be USDA's yield estimate. It used to be that the USDA would start walking the fields and collecting samples in August. They don't do that anymore in August. They wait until September to start doing that. And that's understandable because the crop really isn't mature enough to really get a good objective yield estimate from sampling fields at this point. You can get an idea, but you're probably going to have some sense of error in it. So what they do for this estimate is they survey farmers and they use satellite data to kind of collaborate the two. Um, interesting, though, farmers tend to focus on a, a low number. A USDA knows that. Uh, Lance, who's in charge of this, tells me that they know farmers understate yields because they don't want the government to think we have a big crop out there. It's going to kill the market. Um, and the satellite data suggests that we have real, a really good crop out there. So it'll be interesting to see what USDA does. I think the satellite data is overstating what's actually happening in the field. Our customer survey says 177 bushels per acre. The agronomist in me, which I walked a lot of hundreds of fields before I did what I do now, says that we're a little bit lower than that. Uh, the trade is at 175 and a half going into tomorrow's report. Uh, I think somewhere in that neighborhood, 175 and a half is 177 is is a is a good number right now. Obviously, we have some areas that are much worse than that. Mm -hmm. Eastern Nebraska is probably one of the biggest problems. Soybeans, we're at 50 and a half bushels per acre. The trade is at 51.3 bushels per acre. Probably close to 51 is where USDA will come out. But soybeans is where we're particularly watching because that's a very tight balance sheet. There's not much room for error there. And a lot of that's because of the domestic demand we have with the new crushing plants coming on to produce oil for the renewable diesel plants. Well, and you mentioned demand there domestically, but demand on the export market. I think we need to keep all of this into perspective here with just how poor demand has been for U.S. commodities here as of late, Arlen, whether it be China buying from South America. China's got their own production problems going on right now. Uh, there, there's a lot to take in here and keep in perspective when it comes to the demand picture, isn't there? It really is. And I think the market will start focusing on demand a little bit more as we get into maybe October, November and realize new crop demand simply isn't there. Now for soybeans, we have uh, domestic demand that'll kind of offset that. I think USDA is understating domestic demand for soybeans. On corn, we don't have that because our cattle numbers are down dramatically. Our hog numbers are starting to shrink as well. And so it's going to get tough to get that feed use number the USDA has there as well. I think USD is overstating corn exports by several hundred million bushels, and that's eventually going to be a problem. I think the trade is wise to that and is factoring that in. Um, so Dow comes on just focusing on the supply side. China is a factor in that, obviously. They're the world's largest importer of commodities, and it includes the grain and oil seeds. They've been They've been hoarding supplies out of Brazil's big crop this year. The question is, are they going to keep those supplies in the reserves? Or are they going to start releasing them this fall then so they don't have to buy as much from us on soybean side? 
On the corn side, corn demand is soft in China right now, even though they have some crop problems. That's because they've had excessive rains during the ahead of the wheat harvest and the rice harvest. So low quality wheat and rice going into the feed stream, displacing corn, really hurting their demand there as well. So that's a real concern going forward. And of course, Brazil producing a bumper crop of corn this year, and they're really dominating the export market. Arlen, we have about a minute and a half here. One other thought that just came to my mind, uh, I believe it was earlier this week, we got a a bulletin from uh, NAS that said they were going to be potentially making some adjustments to wheat acreage, I think it was, or or to small grains anyway. Uh, Wondering if we think we could see something to that effect here uh, on Friday's report. Yeah, and uh, I expected that uh, adjustment to come in September, but it is coming in August. And basically what we're watching for there is another reduction in wheat harvested acres. Now, I think they'll at least partially offset that with an increase in yield once again for the winter wheat crop, but a reduction harvested acres. We had a lot of wheat acres that were abandoned after USDA made their last harvested acres adjustment. And so therefore that should help tighten up wheat a little bit and uh, we'll be watching for that corn and soybean seed their acreage adjusted in the september report well arlen always uh, appreciate the time and the insight uh, here with us on aoa definitely going to be volatile markets ahead and uh, we'll just have to watch and see how things shake out I th- as you told me before whatever uh, whatever the usda says that's the number that the market's going to trade right Absolutely. We can disagree with it, but the market's going to trade the USDA numbers. Fantastic thoughts. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. Thanks for joining us here today on AOA, Arlen, and we'll talk to you again soon. Appreciate it. Look forward to it, Jesse. And coming up next here as we continue on AOA, we are looking forward to catching up on what's going on with the Farm Progress Show. We're getting ready for that here just a couple of weeks away in Decatur, Illinois. And uh, I know tents are being put up and the field demos are getting ready to go. Show manager, Matt Youngman, he will join us coming up next as we're back with more here on AOA right after this. Your grain cart, your auger wagon, your grain buggy, whatever you call it, whatever color, whoever's driving it, it serves a vital role in your operation every harvest. This year, make your grain cart the center of automated record keeping with a Harvest Make Grain Cart Bundle from ScaleTech. Reliability when it matters most. Accessible records when you need them. Adaptable solutions to fit your operation. We've taken the time to make sure our rugged products adapt to fit your current scale systems. So you have one less thing to worry about when it's go time. Make a Harvest Make Grain Cart Bundle your partner in automated record keeping at Scaletech.com. Scaletech. Your scale. Your way. At Great Plains, we engineer durable soil management, seeding, and planting equipment to help you get more out of every acre, harvest after harvest. United in purpose, driven by devotion, 
we work tirelessly to provide solutions so you can build a legacy that'll last. Visit your local dealer or go to greatplainsag.com today to lock in your order and unlock your potential. Great Plains. Harvest starts here. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers, and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger, Larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, coming up here at the end of August, it is the Farm Progress Show happening in Decatur, Illinois. We're getting set and getting ready to go for the show here in just a few weeks' time. And here to give us an update on things, Matt Youngman, show manager for the Farm Progress Show. And Matt, great to talk with you again. I hope you're doing well. Jesse, good to be with you. Looking forward to uh, seeing you in person there at the show. Yeah, I'm getting excited here just a couple of weeks away, and I know that uh, things are well underway. You were mentioned to me before we jumped on air that uh, tents are going up and uh, everything is starting to come together really well for that show coming up here August 29th through the 31st in Decatur. Get us up to speed on uh, some of the latest preparations. Uh, everything is really coming together well, as you mentioned. Uh, we've had uh, some, actually, some really, really nice rains come through, which is not ideal when you're trying to build tents and, and set up a show. But for the growers that are coming to the show, it's it's been nice to help finish off the corn crop uh, after such a dry start to things. It's nice to get some rains to help with kernel fill, and and the soybeans are are, are getting a nice drink out of this too at, at this time of year. So. The tents are tents are flying. They're they're going up. Our our great big buried industries tent is just now getting skinned. That thing is 66 feet wide and 680 feet long. So it's a it's a pretty impressive sight to to view in person. And it's got that brand new uh, Illinois soybean oil asphalt underneath it. So a nice a nice place to exhibit <clears throat> the electricians and internet folks, landscapers. Uh, they're all they're all in place and, and starting to get their work done. Well, Matt, I know uh, we got a lot of new products that are going to be unveiled during the Farm Progress show here at the end of the month. What are some of the highlights? What are you hearing from various folks who are going to be there exhibiting? What are some of the exciting things that we need to be on the lookout for? Uh, just yesterday, I was uh, recording our Farm Progress show preview show that's going to be on RFD TV, and, and the, the folks from KSIH were, were in there giving a little bit of a sneak peek on what folks could look forward to they've they've really got some cool things that, that they're coming out with in their tractor lineup from top to bottom and there's there's electric tractors and 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 things like that maybe not from case but electric tractors 
uh, going to be unveiled by some of the exhibitors. We've got, uh, you know, Raven coming with a new piece in their path to autonomy. Uh, just lots of stuff over and over throughout the grounds. Uh, a new product from John Deere, uh, and then, and then, you know, in addition to the the new stuff from the majors, the new Big Bud will be there on site. We will have the the Nexat, which folks might have seen that on social media. That's that 24 row combine uh, unit that, that will be on display, making its North American debut. So just just lots of stuff from top to bottom being unveiled on Tuesday morning of the show. Well, and Matt, I think about this, you know, we call it the Farm Progress Show for a reason. And you mentioned some of those great uh, highlights of things that are going to be unveiled and just amazing, uh, you know, the last few years of the show, all of the different technology, the ag tech, the precision ag technology that has been unveiled at the Farm Progress Show. And it sounds like this year is going to be no different. It is, and and you know the the in addition to the electric vehicles, you know the, the the other two big things would be autonomy. We've got some brand new players in the autonomy space that are going to be demonstrating their machines. In addition to Raven, uh, you know you've got the smart sprayer technology, whether that's that's John Deere Seed Spray or Green Eye. Uh, some of that's going to be on display running. That's that's really groundbreaking technology that 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 I think is going to be impacting a lot of folks as we go forward here. And you know it's 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 just unbelievable until you see it in person to see a sprayer running at 12 miles an hour and selectively spraying the weeds that it sees it's it's just it's just crazy to see it in person we're talking with matt youngman show manager for the farm progress show coming up here august 29th through the 31st in decatur illinois and matt i know the 70th anniversary of the show there's always so much to do just to you know, over the years when you guys have built up the show sites in Decatur and, and in Boone, Iowa as well, and alternating, you guys, it, honestly, to me, it feels like you've kind of built up your own little community with all the different streets and the amount of folks and uh, companies that are there. It, it feels like its own little small town in a way, Matt. It, it is. And, and, and you know, that's that's been a, a one of the things that, that I think we're most proud of is the fact that we've, it's kind of a, you build it and they will come kind of thing. And, and, you know, in the growth of these permanent sites, the exhibitors get more and more confident that we're for sure going to have the crowd there. And we're going to have, be able to have a show as opposed to the past when it was a little more sensitive to the weather. And they've responded with some really tremendous exhibits. You know, you think back and, and air conditioning at a farm progress show was not something that that somebody would do. And now, you know, there are, we counted every year and I think it averages about 30 different tents that have that have an air conditioned interior which is which is just wonderful you know they're basically setting up their own uh trade show hall there on their own exhibit and everybody has a street address and so it's really mm -hmm. easy to navigate and get through and and you know all the all the comforts and features of home there matt i know uh, the last week or so we've seen some showers uh, rain showers work through parts of the corn belt there wondered if we've seen any of that rain really fall in the uh, show site there in decatur how is the How's that crop looking for some of the uh, field demos coming up here in a few weeks? I just saw some ears earlier this week, and everything is in great shape. It's, it's right at half milk line, so you know we we don't need much more heat, and just just you know the, the normal weather is going to bring that crop along and, and be good. Getting that that crop in the ground uh, in mid April, it was all in the ground by April 14th in, in great conditions. And it weathered the, the drought really, really well, um, kind of got its work done before it got a lot of heat stress. 
And so uh, it, it's, it, it is in tremendous shape. And assuming Mother Nature agrees with us on the three days of the show, you know, we can, we can just about guarantee we're going to have a crop ready to go. And, and you know, there's, there's so many. We're, we're just now get, getting the, the details of the field demonstrations put in place. So we're recording the, the, uh, the presentations that are going to be read out there in the demos. And, you know, you're going to have between the, the OEMs, the manufacturers of combines, and the head companies, and the folks that have mm-hmm. other attachments for combines, you've got about 13 combines going to run along with the grain carts, and then later in the afternoon, tiling, and then tillage demonstrations at 2 o'clock. So, you know, in addition to the field, the, the ride and drive, the autonomy demo, just a lot of activity. Well, I know folks can get tickets, see the list of exhibitors and more online, farmprogressshow.com. With that, Matt Youngman, show manager for the Farm Progress Show. Thanks for joining us on AOA today. We'll talk to you in a uh, couple of weeks. Sounds good. Thanks, Jesse. And we're out of time here on AOA. Thank you for joining us here today. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a fantastic rest of your day. The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 B.C. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network.